You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Good to be with you here today, especially when we start a new worship series. It's called The Irrational Jesus. What might all of this be about? Our scripture lesson today, we have two of them. Uh, the first is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. It'll be on the screens, and it's also in your Bible. And it goes like this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part... But then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And the second text for this morning is uh, from 1 John, the first chapter, 8th verse. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I'll have you know. Um, I pray for the 8.30 service more than I pray for you, uh, because they get to hear the sermon the first time around. You have the blessing of me having delivered it and then making adjustments at halftime for the second half of the game. So made some adjustments um, uh, for, the, for the sermon <laughs> in the this, this second round. I was, I'll just open the closet right up. Uh, about three-quarters of the way through the sermon at the 830 service, I said, I'm not sure if I'm making any sense to me, and I wrote the darn thing, so I'm going to just change up this little ending part. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how the second half goes uh, here today. The irrational Jesus. What is this about? Well, first, our Christian faith teaches us That Jesus is both fully divine and also fully human. Not sometimes human and sometimes divine, but uh, indivisibly fully human and fully divine. And that's difficult to wrestle with. How does that work? Now, in the context of worship, we we do a pretty good job of lifting Jesus up as fully divine, Lord and Savior. But then we start thinking about Jesus' humanness, we tend to weigh that down, push that aside, because sometimes it feels a bit embarrassing that sometimes Jesus seemed to be so very human. And the reason it sometimes seems embarrassing to us is because we have mirrors and we know ourselves. If Jesus is fully human... How fully human exactly was Jesus? Or, as uh, Gregory of Nazianzus, if you want to win Jeopardy, Gregory of Nazianzus said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he in essence said, God cannot redeem what God did not assume. God cannot redeem what God did not assume, which means 
Jesus, fully divine, but also fully incorporated the human experience into his life. The incarnation, God in the flesh. Now, Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, which is a New Testament book, a New Testament letter, gives us a little more context. It says this in chapter 4, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one in every respect who has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Fully divine, fully human. Fully human, but also without sin. How does, how does that work to be fully human and also without sin? So there was a controversy in the church in the 4th century. I'm glad you're all sitting down for that. There was a controversy in the church, and there was a disagreement uh, in the church uh, back in the 4th century, and it was called um, uh, the Docetist Controversy. Again, so that you could win Jeopardy here, right? There was a teaching in the church at the time called Docetism, which meant, in essence, that Jesus was fully divine, but he was like a human being. He just seemed to be human. Jesus really didn't suffer. Jesus really didn't struggle. Jesus really didn't... It just looked like he was upset sometimes. And that was deemed a heresy. As, as my church history professor uh, used to say, he goes, I love studying church history because then I can say with confidence to someone to their face that their kind died out in the fourth century. Right? See, that didn't get a laugh at the early service, too. I should have taken that out. Yeah, second half is not going so well. So, there was a controversy in the church in the fourth century. They lifted up Jesus' divinity, but seemed to forget about the importance of Jesus being fully human. So for just a moment, and it seems a little counter in the context of worship, we're going to talk about Jesus' humanity. Jesus had blind spots, as do we. Here's the footnote, don't leave. It is not a sin to have a blind spot. Not correcting for the blind spot just might be sinful. To show you what I mean by us having blind spots and us thinking that we see more clearly than we do, I'm going to show you a video in a second. It's a video of a magic trick. Magic is great at unveiling our, how weak our eyes actually are and understanding what is right in front of us. So let's take a look at this. This is a magic trick, and I want you to pay real close attention to what's happening in the video. Watch this next sequence carefully. At the end, I'll ask you a question about what you've seen. Hi, I'm Magic Singh, and today we're in Portobello Road, and I'm going to show you guys a classic in magic using matches. And today to help me out is Mark. Mark, I'll tell you what, place your hand up for me nice and flat. Now, I promise this won't hurt, all right? So here's the idea. Let's just light this up, and if you close onto that nice and tight, here we go. Watch this. Keep watching. I don't know if you felt that or not. Tell you what, have a look inside. Open it up. See how the match is actually returned into the book and it's still burnt. Okay, you're not impressed. All right, it was my first trick ever. But here's the idea. Just place that back in your hand, close it tight, and turn it face down again if you can. Now we're going to use one more thing and we're going to use a magician's best friend, playing cards. Now the idea is really simple. You're going to choose one. So take any one you like. Perfect. Have a look for yourself and do me a favor, show the camera as well if you can. 
Brilliant. And you know what? Place it back face up on the deck. Now, it doesn't matter if I see what the card is, because we're going to do something completely different. Just watch this. Here we go. I'll do it slowly. Watch the king. I don't know if you felt that or not. Tell you what, have a look inside. Open it up. Oh. Check it out. It's the uh, it's King of Diamonds. It's my card. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Did you watch the trick closely? This is a famous illusion called inattention blindness. This illusion is not about the magic. While watching the routine, you may or may not have noticed the changes taking place. The question is, how many changes did you see? Was there one, were there three, or were there five? The answer is there were three changes. The first change was the red hanky to a green one. The second was his shirt swapping to a t-shirt. The last was his assistant becoming a completely different person. How many did you see? So why is it that you didn't see these big changes? And the reason is that the brain receives so much information on its eyes that you can't see everything simultaneously. So instead it picks and chooses according to what it thinks is important. If you change something that it doesn't think is important, you just literally don't see it. Did you see the changes in the video? Uh, his, the red handkerchief became green. His shirt went from collared to a t-shirt. And then, which was really fascinating to me when I saw it for the first time, the person he was performing the trick with was a completely different person at the end of the video. Didn't notice it at all. And I love how he says, what the brain thinks is important, or what, what the brain thinks is unimportant, you literally do not see. What the brain thinks is unimportant, you literally do not see it. We think we see so clearly the things that are right in front of us. But we have blind spots. Having blind spots is not a sin. Not correcting for the blind spots just might be. It's like when you're driving a car. You do not have eyes in the back of your head. We cannot see in 360 degrees. So what do we do? We have corrective mirrors. We put mirrors on our car so that we can see. These blind spots are simply a result of us being finite beings. We are human. We don't have eyes in the back of our head. Jesus was also fully human, as well as fully divine. Jesus didn't have eyes in the back of his head either. Jesus had blind spots as well. It's not a sin to have blind spots, but not correcting for them just might be. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus has these blind spots and Jesus understands our humanity. He is fully human and helps us correct for these things that we think are unimportant and therefore we literally do not see them. So for example, there are several ways in which we have, we kind of make our own eyeglasses in a way, by the way we see the world. Uh, And they don't show us everything that we need to see. So a couple of corrective lenses, there are a couple of lenses through which we see the world, and it doesn't always give us the best picture. The first is the availability lens. So, and this helps us understand uh, what to be fearful of and what not to be. And we get this wrong a lot. 
So you're going on vacation and you're in Hawaii and you walk past all of the palm trees uh, to the shore and you just for a second hesitate before getting in the water just in case there might be a shark in the water. You watched Jaws last night so you're kind of primed to not want to go swimming. The only problem is you are statistically more likely to die from a falling coconut than you are from an actual shark attack. But while we're there, we irrationally fear what's in the water. And we just gingerly, we just, without caring, walk past all of the death coconuts that are above our head in the palm trees, right? So availability lens, beware the coconuts. Sometimes we fear the things we shouldn't and are completely oblivious to the things that we might, should be fearful of. What the brain thinks is unimportant, it literally doesn't see. Next is the anchoring lens. When we're trying to figure out something in real time, we anchor ourselves to something we know and then compare that to something else. Like, for example, if I were to say, um, how many feet do you think the chancel rail is in length? Well, some of you might be spot on and say, oh, I know. Maybe we say, well, I know the backyard fence is X amount of feet, and this is X amount of feet longer or shorter than that. Sometimes that's the way we make decisions, is we anchor to what we know, whether or not we know if it's true or not. Because we would say, like, I think, I think the backyard fence is so many feet, so this, I think, is, and sometimes that could be wrong. But when we make decisions, sometimes we anchor to something we think we know and then figure it out from there. Next, we have a representative lens. So snakes, I'm sorry, a pastor on a plane. Here's the example of a representative lens, okay? Um, when, I, when I travel, undoubtedly, uh, not every time, but often, I'll get in the plane, have a good two and a half hour flight somewhere, and then the person sitting next to me say, so, what do you do? And I always just kind of, I take a breath. I don't lie. Uh, and it's not that I'm not proud of being a pastor. It's just I know what the next two and a half hours is going to be like once I unveil that I'm a clergy person, right? But what's happening, what happens is when I say, oh, I'm a pastor, the first thing that they think of is either a pastor they really, really liked or a pastor they really, really didn't. And then they compare me of where on the continuum I fall, right? Representative. We have in our head a representative of a person that represents a group of people. It's not a sin to have a blind spot. Not correcting for it just may well be. And this is where sometimes we get our prejudices from. We have a picture in our mind of who someone should be, and we apply that to the whole. And I use a self-deprecating example because it happens, I know I can see the wheels turning in their head when I say, I'm a pastor. Sometimes I say, oh, and they get really excited, like, oh, I was doing this Bible study, it's really great. I'm a pastor. Sometimes I say, oh, and then, you know, uh, or then you hear confession for two hours. It's just, it's an incredible thing, uh, being on a plane with nowhere to go, uh, and you tell someone you're a pastor. And then finally, uh, uh, the, the affection lens, or, or an effect lens, sometimes we very, we drastically downplay our emotional state and how that changes the way we receive information, the way we see things. I mean, have you ever been just hangry and made a really poor decision because of that? Or are there any new parents, any new parents, any babies that you have at the house? Have you ever been, like, you haven't slept for three months? And then you do something simple like send a text to someone, and they write back and say, are you okay? Like, none of that made sense, right? 
Sometimes we uh, drastically downplay our own emotional state and how that affects the way that we receive information and the way that we see things. Have you ever been just in a really bad mood and you get an email that is not negative, but you just read it, like, can you read how snarky this email is? And you show it to someone and like, that's not, it's not, it's you who are reading it in a particular way because of your emotional state. So there are several ways in which we see the world, and this is not an exhaustive list. Uh, there are, I think, five others that I cut out that we can talk about later uh, that the 830 service suffered through. So I just will pack those away. Just know that this is not an exhaustive lift list in the way that we see the world. But we, we think we see so clear. You saw the magic trick. And there were things happening in that that was right in front of your face that you didn't see it because the brain thought it was unimportant and therefore you literally couldn't see it. We have blind spots. We don't see everything as clearly as maybe we should. And here's the wrestling. When we're talking about Jesus being fully human, as well as fully divine, indivisible, we have to recognize that Jesus had blind spots too. For example, in terms of the representative lens, if Jesus, because sometimes we think, well, Jesus was just colorblind and he just saw all. If that were so, the parable of the Good Samaritan wouldn't exist. Jesus recognized the ethnic hatred between Jews and Samaritans and then therefore told the parable of the Good Samaritan and gave it a new meaning. Gave what it meant to be a Samaritan a new meaning. If Jesus was colorblind, that parable would not have made sense to tell. Does that make sense? Same thing with the prodigal son. The prodigal son, what's the Jewish way of saying this person has hit rock bottom? The prodigal son uh, left home, lost everything, and found his way to feeding pigs. He was caring for pigs and eating out of the same trough. For a Jewish person in first century Palestine, that is rock bottom. You can't get worse than that. Pigs are unclean. You are unclean. If that cultural awareness wasn't there, Jesus would have never told the parable in that way. It is not a sin to have blind spots. Not correcting for these blind spots just might well be. Jesus recognizes these cultural differences and then re-narrates them. He enters into the blind spot and then creates a mirror by which we can reorient the way we see the world. Sometimes it's, embar- it's embarrassing. Uh, again, we, we have to wrestle with Jesus being fully divine and fully human, which meant Jesus got hungry. Jesus got frustrated. So I love, this, I love this verse. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, How long am I going to have to be with you? He gets frustrated. He makes a whip out of cords and runs people out of the temple, overturning the, the money-changing tables. He got frustrated. He got hungry. He was exasperated sometimes. He wept. He wept over Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. How I long, Jesus desired, how I long to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks. Something that we're going to talk about next time is, is now that we recognize the, the point, the goal here this week is to recognize that we have blind spots. You cannot correct for something you don't think exists. But next week, we're going to talk more about the lenses that Jesus brings to the table. For example, it's, it's a little weird to say, and it feels counter in a worship service, but to recognize that Jesus 
didn't know everything. The disciples asked Jesus, when, when is the end? And Jesus says, I don't know. Only the Father knows. In Luke, I believe it's Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is 12 years old at the temple, at the end of that story, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom. The only way you can grow in wisdom is if there is something yet to learn. What kind of sense do we make of this? At times, Jesus was frustrated. At times, Jesus was emotional. There were things that Jesus didn't know. Jesus had blind spots too. It's not a sin to have a blind spot. Not correcting for it just might be. And we have blind spots too. And thankfully, we have a Savior who knows our blind spots. So the goal really the, uh, is this week. Here's the thing. All right, we'll just, that's, that's. So, um, um, it's, it's harder than it looks. So, Here's the thing. We can be quite irrational at times. We're making decisions while we're hungry. Uh, we have a particular lens. We think we're getting objective information by only checking one news source. I love when people like, log on to Twitter and say, Twitter's a dumpster fire. You do realize that you follow the people you want to. So if you say that the people on Twitter are angry then the people you are following are angry. We we silo ourselves and we do. But the solution is not to become more rational. Jesus didn't come so that we might be automatons or computers. The mystery is that Jesus came to reveal a kingdom of God that was not not more rational than the lives we were living. It's actually more irrational. Something like hope is not a rational thought. Altruism is not a rational thought. Resurrection is not a rational thought. 99.99% of the times when people have died, they've stayed dead. But then here comes Jesus, not denying our irrational selves, but actually offering a kingdom that seems even more irrational. Hope, love, forgiveness, grace, resurrection. Anyway, we'll talk. Please come back next week for, for more of, of this. It's so fun. I'm just, now I'm just, I'm opening my closet. After the 30 service, I said, well, I was confusing myself uh, in the sermon. So please come back next week. Uh, it'll be better. Well, I can't promise that. Um, it'll be different and it'll be more, much more Jesus focused instead of cognitive behavioral psychology fair enough let us pray <laughs> gracious God help the preacher <laughs> and, all, and all who call Asbury home Fa- Father help uh, redirect our vision help us understand that we in fact do have blind spots and we cannot correct for something that we don't think exists Father we give you thanks that you sent your son, that you put on flesh, both fully divine and fully human. So, Father, you know our struggle. You know our burden. So fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
Help us to broaden the lenses we think that show us the world clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.